Hello and welcome back to the Business of Show Business podcast with me, your host, Jamie Boddy. Unpacking the skills needed for the entertainment and creative industries and celebrating those already in them. We are on episode 7 and today I'm joined by choreographer Chris Whitaker. In this episode, we talk about transitioning from auditioning and wanting to be on stage to working on the other side of the creative panel and being a choreographer. We also discuss how it is a long game when you are building your career, how you have to earn your stripe, work your way up in the industry, meet new people and grow a network. I think this episode is particularly great for anyone who is at a certain point in their career and maybe wants to utilise or exercise other skills they have and to try and build on their career but in a slightly different path. I hope you enjoy. Now on with the show. On today's episode of the Business of Show Business podcast, I am joined by an award-winning choreographer and movement director who has had work performed in London's West End on UK tours and around the world. Beginning his career as a performer himself, Chris moved from dancing to being an assistant choreographer before fastly emerging as a top choreographer in his own right. Going from choreographing in 50-seat London Fringe Theatres to now having his work in the West End, as well as at the Chichester Festival Theatre and soon to be at the National Theatre. How are you, Chris? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join me today. Absolute pleasure. And one of the things I absolutely love about our um, connection relationship is that we originally met performing and then we've also worked together on our like survival in between jobs. And then I've seen you at like press events and other things. And I've, yeah. I've, I love like seeing our trajectories. It's been everything. We've had the performing, we've had the working in a bar, then all the nice gal- the galas and it's been great. Yeah. A lot of um, listeners probably know of you from either your masterclasses, your workshops. We'll get into it a bit later that you teach at a lot of the leading colleges in the country and also your work um, on stage. But could you give us kind of in a nutshell, just a bit about your journey into the arts? Like where did it start? Yeah, so I'm uh, not quite like a full on stagey kid, but I started when I was started dancing when I was four. Uh, I saw my mum do like a local dance school show um, and then, hi mum if you're listening, uh, and then I kind of was like okay I want to try that and she thought it'll only be a passing thing, you know we'll go for a couple of weeks um, and then you know like 30 years later uh, I'm still doing it. Um, so yeah so I kind of just carried on dancing my entire time, went off to college at 16, moved down to London and then did the usual track of performing assistant like you said in the introduction and then moved into choreography for you did you find because I know although I still perform if the phone rings I don't audition because I'm pursuing my media career how was it with that mental switch from making that decision from going from being that on-stage performer to behind the scenes because I know we're as creatives we're so passionate about what we do so then when you have to kind of think there's something else I want to do it's kind of it's a weird transition isn't it yeah it was odd like I tried to do the both at the same time like I tried to stay performing and uh begin choreographing and I was like okay maybe I can make both of these work but it feels weird when one day you're auditioning and the next day you're doing the audition like that's a very odd process and I went into one big audition for a West End show I won't say the show and the dance captain and the resident choreographer just were like going through the motions they weren't giving it any form of and I was like you know what I'd give anything to be in your position right now as a resident choreographer or something and I think that was the switch moment when I went I think I belong on the other side of that table. And then Andrew Wright, the choreographer, once said, and I can't remember where I read this, but he was like, you can't be taken seriously in the thing you want to do until it's the only thing you do. In terms of, like, you can't be a choreographer and a performer and be the best you can possibly be. 
So that's when I went, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And I never looked back. I still sometimes miss performing. I'm very lucky. I still do a bit for CBBS. Like I've got a character I do for them. So, you know, every two years I'll dip my toe in occasionally. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I'm really glad I went for the choreography and kind of have tried to make a thing of it now. That's such a powerful quote. And I, I very similar for me, I was getting invited to um, cover red carpets for shows and then having maybe already gone in an audition for that show and it got really <laughs> weird and muddied the water. So yeah, I think you do kind of have to have that courage to try, try it wholeheartedly. And sometimes yeah. you may try it and it not work out, but it could be the best thing that happens. Exactly. And I mean, I think you've got a, another quote that I kind of try and live by, and it's a little bit sort of Tolkien-esque, is that like, the adventure doesn't start until you go off the path. And so like, you have to try it. And you can always come back to the path. And I could have always gone back to performing, you know, the, the slight career that I had as a performer, if it had failed as a, as a choreographer, you know. But I tried it. And I think if I hadn't tried it, I don't know where I'd be right now. Yeah, and if you just um, pop over to um, Chris's website, whitakerchoreography.com, you can see all of the shows he's been involved in. I'm looking at it now. Susical, which is actually one of my favourite soundtracks ever. I love that production you did. You did um, Top Hat at Upstairs at the Gatehouse, Judy, The Wild Party, Sing Your Heart Out for the Lads. Um, so much work and quite, um, quite a variety there. Something I never expected. Like, if you'd have said at the beginning of aim my dance career, because I never wanted to be a choreographer, first of all. I always thought, dance, 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 that's all I ever want to do. My dream was to be in Matthew Bourne's company. And, like, so if you'd have said I was going to become a choreographer, and then I was going to become a movement director and work on a football play that has no actual dancing in it, I'd have been like, um, you sure? Is that me? Um, but, yeah, it's incredible. And finding ways to bring movement to plays is such an incredible thing and working with some amazing directors doing that. So it's lovely that I can kind of go from doing all the big top hat, you know, lovely, living the fantasy as a choreographer, tapping your dreams, and then working on something where it really challenges you and it's actually really difficult to find a way to put movement and naturalistic movement into something where maybe it doesn't instinctively belong is, yeah, it's something that, really makes my career feel worthwhile because you're chasing after different things rather than just doing the same thing day after day after day. Exactly. And do you feel that having been a performer yourself and obviously you went to that audition where it maybe wasn't the audition experience you felt it should have been and that's what kind of flipped that switch. Do you feel now that kind of fuels your passion for choreography when you're in the audition room or when you're creating because you've been on that other side, you know what the dancers need. Completely, yeah. And I mean, you'll know the same thing, like when you're working with performers and things and you've been there yourself, you know what that experience is like. So you know how to make it a, a better experience for them and a more comfortable experience and something where even if they don't get the job, at least they've hopefully had a good process of getting it up to it because we both know what rejection's like unfortunately and uh we've both been through that where it's horrible and you just like do does anyone want to be there so if i can make it a room where people want to be there and i can make it a more comfortable experience it's just better for everyone all around i think yeah i can remember we were i can't remember what the show it was we auditioned for and there was a group of us that all got quite far and we kept messing each other every day being like have you heard have you heard? Oh. Like, none of, and then we were like, I guess none of us have it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what was that? There were so many of those ones. My favourite really... Peppa Pig audition that we went to at the Dominion. That was a good... That was a good... <laughs> so for you, what do you look for in an audition? I know that's, probably, that's quite a big, a big question. And also as a movement director now, it's not just dancers you deal with. It will be singers, actors, probably like maybe some musos as well. So 
what kind of advice would you give for someone who when the next auditions start coming in coming in post covid what kind of advice would you give to someone so i always thought when i was a performer that it was you're looking for the best dancer and you're looking for the person whose leg can go highest or you know can do the most pirouettes but actually as soon as you sit on the other side you realize that the biggest thing is style and if you can pick up the choreographer's style or the movement director style or whoever it is you're working with that day because I can teach anyone to pick up the choreography in the rehearsal process so it doesn't matter if you get that wrong but what I can't do and don't have time to do really most people don't in a rehearsal process nowadays is to give style and to teach my style or the choreographer's style. So if you can come in and you can already pick that up and pick up the little references and the little niches within the choreography or the routine, that's what I look for and that's what makes you stand out even more than someone whose leg can go behind their head. Um, I said this on another episode, but I think one of the one of the only perks of getting older as a performer in our industry is you you understand your self-worth, you can read the room more, you have a stronger network. But I think one of the things is you can trust your ability a bit more. Well, when you're a fresh grad, understandably, you just want, you've just spent three years in training, you want that job. So you've got so much nervous energy, but sometimes maybe you miss those little nuances. Oh, definitely. And you get those people who've just come out of college and they, you know, they've perfected that quadruple pirouette. And it's brilliant to see that, but it's put them three counts behind the music. And I'm like, well you're now not part of an ensemble, you're just drawing focus and I don't need that in my choreography, like we don't need that in our show. So it's, yeah, it's being able to just trust that doing what you can do is enough. Mm, and I mean, what I think, not like I'm going to go to audition anytime soon, you never know Chris, I'll be at your next one. But yeah. I think what really there like stuck with me is the fact of it's almost read the room and like learn from who's there don't go in there thinking I'm going to deliver this or I've got this, trust your skill set and be present in the room completely and then if you can just and it's it's about a dialogue as well like you've got to take away from the choreographer and the choreographer's got to be able to give you what they're asking for so it's about continuing that dialogue and, and talking rather than just going they've asked for a pirouette so i have to make sure i do a double pirouette and it's really clean and it's perfect it's, it's about looking at what else is in that routine for you isn't again hindsight it's an amazing thing but i remember going into those auditions and trying to suss the code of what they wanted when actually maybe you could elaborate a little bit more but there's so many cogs isn't there behind that process from the casting team to you and the creatives to the costumer and everything yeah it's huge and i mean it depends on the show obviously like if it's a brand new show then there's so much more freedom and scope you could pick anyone you want you can have you know ensemble of all shapes and sizes and it's wonderful if it's a recast, then obviously sometimes it gets a little bit more. And this is the old thing. You and I always used to hear this. It's like, who fits the costume? Yeah. And unfortunately, that does still happen to a degree within the industry with some of the longer runner shows where it's about, you know, oh, we've got someone who is roughly this size leaving. So let's try and get someone similar so that we can make it a quicker turnaround. But I think those days are fading slightly within our industry. I have noticed a bit of a shift that that isn't necessarily what the industry is about nowadays. But it, you still get the kind of, oh, we've got a tumble track available, which was the old one in Wicked that you and I was used to go for when, you know, oh, the tumble track's available, we may as well leave now. Um, yeah. So, like, you know that if that track's available and you can't tumble, then, oh, it's not going to go overly well when you get to that round of the audition. But it's still about what's seeing the bigger picture of who else, what that casting director might be doing the next week or when this comes around again in six months' time, knowing that that track might be available again then. So it's... You know, it's always worthwhile going into these rooms and doing things. And would you encourage someone then to, if they have been pre-selected again for an audition, say six months or a year later, would you still encourage them to come? Because I know sometimes performers do get disheartened because you may have already been seen once or twice and get cut. 
But I guess there is a reason you're getting pulled in a third time or a fourth time. Well, completely. And it's, it's always about who you're in with in the room because it's not just about you. You're not the only person they're putting into that show. So it might have been that actually we had too many people that looked a little bit like you or we had no one that kind of you would fit next to. Whereas in six months time, you might fit perfectly with the person who's going to be playing your partner in the show or who's going to be stood next to you in the show. So come on in because you could be perfect that time. And we've already seen the talent. So we know you're able. The first round is about talent. And then the, the next few rounds are about putting the pieces together for that jigsaw. So the further you get and then coming back in the next few years, it's just about trying to fit you into that jigsaw. So definitely, I think my record was, I think I went for Mamma Mia eight times and never once got through the first singing round. Like, yeah. and they keep calling me back every year. And stupidly, I kept going and singing the same song. That's the thing. I used to have my, my go-to, like, like you, I was a very strong dancer. I personally wasn't a strong, strongest singer, but I think that was a confidence thing. But anyway, I used to have putting on the Ritz. That was my one song. And they're like, can I have a rock pop? And I'm like, yeah, putting on the Ritz. Can I have a classic <laughs> song? And I'm like, putting on the Ritz. There's a different tempo. <laughs> yeah, Matt Flint used to always tell me that he only ever had one. I mean, he had an incredible career as a performer. So yeah. obviously it worked for him. You and I slightly differently. Um, but he only ever took one song and would just change it. Mine was... Um, use what you got from the life it had a slight up-tempo swing to it <laughs> i could kind of push it to each boundary when i needed to where in the creative journey typically if there is a typical time does the choreographer come on board is it one of the earlier decisions or is it a bit later in the process so for a choreographer because a choreographer and movement director happen at very different stages in the process for a choreographer on a bigger dance show you are going to be one of the first people on board. So it's normally you either get brought on by the director or you get brought on by the producer. It's one of those two people that will normally bring you on board. If the director has a big say in his or her team, then you will get brought on by them. If the producer's like, actually, I know a choreographer that I'd really like for this show, so I'm going to bring them on board, then they'll approach you. From movement director, you're normally quite far down because it's, it's not one of sort of the higher end visions of the show, if that makes sense. So it would normally be like director, designer, sound designer, lighting designer, and movement director would probably then come in underneath that with sort of like the rest of the team that fill that, that piece, if that makes sense. I'm sure there's probably some working relationships that are very harmonious, but then there's probably some, whether it's the set, oh, you can't do that choreography now because the set piece is bigger or the costumes don't allow it or the, they need to sing this note and it's too hard at this point to dance. Yeah, it is. I mean, the set issues tend to come at tech. So you'll have spent ages, you'll have a, a show that looks incredible in the rehearsal room and then you'll have to completely re-choreograph it when you get into the auditorium because the set's suddenly five times bigger or you know something's changed due to the specifications and things. But that's all part of the fun and and you kind of as long as you know that that is a possibility then you're okay dealing with it the yeah the musical director and choreographer one's always interesting and it's you know it's trying to find those bits and and find the people that you can push vocally and physically at the same time to try and make it but yeah it's it's always a give and take and you kind of have to i don't think you can ever go in and completely stand your ground because otherwise it's not a creative team it's just a load of people sort of shouting at each other from across a room. So it's got to, you've got to give and take. And then it has to come from the director at the end because it's their vision that you're trying to facilitate and make happen in a room. So what's nice is as choreographer and movement director is you can kind of, there's always someone that you can go, okay, I'd, I'd like you to help 
make this final decision, please. <laughs> For anyone listening who's maybe thinking of trying to get more into choreography or didn't even really know much about being a movement director, do you have any advice for them if they're listening to think right how can i um exercise those skills and kind of slowly build a name for myself yeah so it's i I, the route i went really worked for me and i would always kind of recommend that route but it's it's a lot about luck because i fell in with a choreographer to become their assistant well i was a dance captain first then their assistant and i was lucky that that choreographer kept getting work that they could bring me on with so that was a really nice route for me and it meant that I could learn my trade while still performing. So, you know, it wasn't a financial risk for me of, you know, taking on some unpaid internships or, you know, being an assistant for, for not as much money as, as, you know, you'd like and things. So I was very, very lucky with that, that I could build my own sort of way into the industry that way. But I mean, it's, it's just about getting yourself into a room with people to try and create because it's, you don't know what kind of choreographer you're going to be. Cause I, I think I was a very different dancer to I am as a choreographer, if that makes sense. And so you've got to find your own style and it's mine's still evolving now and changing and movement direction was something I never knew about. So it's learning that on the job with the director about what they want. So just get yourself into a room. Like if it's just you and some mates having a dance around, use that to then create some work that you can play around with and, and talk to directors as well. And, you know, talk to new emerging directors or directors that are at, uh, colleges or if your friend wants to suddenly become a director then look at working on a small little project together and I think you'll find your own voice and you'll find a way in and then hopefully that can emerge and you can kind of follow that through. I love that and I think there's this slight sense of we sometimes support people we don't know more than the ones we know where like you'll buy a celebrity's clothing line because they're a celebrity yeah. when actually like so i know that's kind of a weird analogy but it's there's some amazing choreographers out there but like you said one of your friends may have this yearning to be a producer be a director like i don't know if you found this when you were going more into choreography i didn't really talk about my other passions with my performer friends to start with and then actually once i started talking about my other passions and drives it actually a, maybe you feel better and B, actually led to some work. Definitely. I mean, but this was kind of the thing that you and I discovered around about the same time when we were working behind the bar and we'd, you know, we'd suddenly both, because that was, but working at that bar was when we both decided to start, start taking different yeah. career paths and, and we all would just talk about it quite openly. And it's, I think we'd both started the process a couple of years earlier, but hadn't fully kind of gone. We'd only been dipping our toe. And so talking about it and, you know, talking through options and I'd mentioned that you know my big break as a choreographer I'd like to think it wasn't really a break but my kind of the show that made was when I became a full-time choreographer rather than just you know doing it alongside became because I spoke to someone at the bar about I wanted to be a choreographer you know uh Racky Plews was a customer that night she came up and we were talking and you know the Plews who run upstairs at the gatehouse said oh we'd re- you know we're going to be doing singing in the rain you should come and audition for us and I went oh actually I'm I'm thinking about becoming a choreographer. Do you know if there's someone attached to it yet? Two days later, I had an interview and, and that was my first big dance musical that I'd choreographed. So it's, if I hadn't spoken to people and like talked to you and, and talked to people like Pete and Susie who were at the bar with us yeah. about it, they wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the nerve to ask that question. So I think you have to talk about it. And I think that's when the best things happen because it's just been in your head otherwise. So once you get it out there and you start talking and people can kind of talk through ideas with you and it just becomes a bigger thing. 
I remember it was not long after because I was in Ireland back in dancing on the voice and just come back and I think you had done a project choreographing as well yeah. and then we had some really bad customers that week at the bar I think we were both like no this is not the one for us now like yeah. that's sort of it's like right let's fully invest in these other things and see what happens and as we you said stay there for another three years but that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but we had that light bulb moment um and I think well, you, but the thing is, you progressed within the bar itself, didn't you? You were like managing as well. Um, yes, yeah, so I kind of saw that as a chance to A, get a mortgage, and B, it was so flexible that I could yeah. work in the evening and choreograph during the day. That was the great thing about being a choreographer is that my, I wasn't working in the evenings on a show. I was working during the day, so I could, I could have both those worlds to kind of steady myself on that transition. Yeah, and it wasn't long after that, when I, like that kind of light bulb week, that I actually applied for my internship which led to my job in arts marketing. So yeah, I think it's good to talk. What advert is that for? It's good to talk. Is that BT or something? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, old school BT, I think. Yeah, let's get some sponsorship from them. It's good to talk. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. Chris was so lovely to talk to, and I really hope that he has given you the confidence to pursue that other career or dabble in it if you are teetering on thinking, I want this for my career, I want to give this a go, or I want to utilise these skills. Later on in the episode, he will talk more about his social handles and where you can follow him. His website is whittakerchoreography.com. If you're enjoying the episode so far, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave your review. And now back on with the show. You've had such a fantastic career, but I know, obviously, because I know that it's been a hustle and you've had to work to get it. So can you maybe talk of an instance where you maybe had to overcome something or kind of the trials and tribulations that come with building this new career? Yeah, so I mean... The hardest thing as a choreographer is the fact that there's so little within your control because you're not at the top of the tree in terms of you don't get you don't necessarily get to choose your shows like it's not very often that a choreographer will pitch a show to a producer. It's happening more and more these days within the fringe world but like I couldn't just turn around to Cameron McIntosh and say you know what show I'd love to do Cameron (laughs) Uh, and he goes hey tell you what here's a million pounds. Um, So whereas performer like it's you know it's out of your control because you know the audition comes to you eventually after you've done the groundwork and then you can go whereas a creative it's kind of you've got to kind of try and align yourself next to people to get to move up that ladder and it's it's seeing people move or do things you're like oh i would have killed to do that show or i mean trust me, i won't kill to do a show i just want to put that out <laughs> um but you know you see people and it's it's watching them and you think oh am i next in line for that kind of thing and it's very much like a tiered system. Like you kind of can see where you are in the process and, and watching people move along and you, everyone's very supportive. And there's a really lovely network of choreographers coming through at the moment um, that are all so supportive of each other. People like you've got your Becky Howes, your um, Simon Hardwicks, Tom Jackson Greaves, Philip Joles. Like we're all moving up at the similar time. Like that, we might be at different levels, but we're so supportive of each other. And like there's Facebook chats and, and all this that we have. And it's, but watching people do shows and you're like, oh, I thought that was in my grasp. And it's that's possibly the hardest part of it. And then kind of just having those moments when you're in a rehearsal room and not knowing what comes next, like get, having a little mental block or having a moment when you're like, because you feel very alone at times because you feel the pressure of everyone watching, thinking, and almost not relying on you for the steps because it is a collaborative process, but going, well, no, you're the choreographer, so can we have, you know, you feed us something. And if you get to that moment, you're like, I genuinely have no idea. And it's probably an hour before you pluck up the courage to go, can anyone throw me a suggestion here? 
that's yeah. that's normally quite sort of terrifying thank you for being so like open with that because i guess that's the thing is you you work so hard to get to that point of being a choreographer but then it's like having to maintain it and it might not just be flowing to you in that moment and that is it having that courage also as a leader then to ask for support which i think is this another good thing for any listeners do ask those questions it's okay obviously don't be annoying and ask inappropriate hours of the day or whatnot but ask those <laughs> questions so what i'd love to ask now actually because again just looking at your website you've taught at like mount view gsa arts education mad so many colleges and also now um being a movement director and choreographer you audition a lot of creatives like singers actors dancers yeah. actor musos is there anything you ever see with performers where they may give up or not not push through their comfort zone to get to where they want to be because you, you're kind of dealing with younger creators while they're at college but then also seeing them when they're in the industry yeah i think it's that big leap isn't it and you and i obviously felt it when we moved because we were very much in the dance world and i think the dance world and the dancey side of musical theater is you go from being and it, you take that step when you move from your hometown to your college of you go from being a relatively bigger fish in a small pond into somewhere where you you know your weaknesses are going to get exposed and you know you're not going to be the best but you you'd still like to cling on to that feeling and i think moving from college into the industry is exactly the same because you've worked your way up your third year like the first years bow down to you and you know you've had you might have had the lead or you know you've done the you've been in you've been picked for move it or whatever it is that year and it's you know you feel really good and you've, you've got a one you've got a first in your degree or whatever you've got an agent and it feels amazing. And then you go to an audition and you realize that you don't have any form of reputation yet, which is amazing. You know, it's a brilliant thing on one hand, but I think you don't see how amazing it is. You just see it as daunting. And I think that suddenly puts a stop on people and you see this barrier because they walk in and they kind of, they see these pros and they might have, like, I know it happened to me. Like I'd walk into auditions when I first graduated and be like, Oh my God, I saw them in a show two weeks ago. Oh God, they were in this show. You know, that's incredible. I absolutely love that show. And you start kind of building up your own competition around you. I remember I went in for Wicked one year and I got down to the fourth round and I, they called out me to dance and I was stood, Matt Flint was stood next to me. He'd just taught me at college. Gavin Eden was in the other, same group as me. He'd done Matthew Bourne and like was my idol from that side. And then Ashley Nottingham was the other side. And I was like, hang on, these guys are like people who I'd completely idolised at college because they were all London Studio Centre or had taught me there. And now I'm in an audition alongside them so of course I'm going to think, well, I'm not going to get this job. Like I'm with these three incredible people, but it's, you know, it's learning that you've all got just equal chance. And I earned my place in that fourth round, you know, and it's, I got there not to be put alongside them, but I got there for different tracks, but you don't see that when you yeah. first come to college. Cause I don't think you realize how it fully works. And so it's, yeah, it's starting to realize that you're not who you were at college, but you're, you're still you and you're still able to offer whatever you had at college. Does that make sense? Completely. And I think a lot of things you said there resonate with what I try and do now with this um, business coaching for creatives. Is it's like A, being mentally strong, but then also the fact is like, especially with graduates, if I go into like a graduating year, I think there's actually power in being a graduate. Yeah. It, it's when you're in that weird limbo of you're not a graduate and you're not 10 years into the industry. It's when you're in that five or six year out, you might not get pulled in for auditions because that choreographer knows enough or you might only get pulled in for certain auditions where when you're, when you're fresh, you've kind of got a clean slate. So there's actually power that comes with that. Yeah, definitely. And everyone wants to see that new talent and everyone wants to discover, you know, what's out there. And we know that the, the people who've come from colleges, you know, they are the freshest and they are the kind of, 
often the most hungry and kind of the un this is a horrible term but the untainted like they've not picked up habits from doing eight shows a week and, and you know it's lovely to see that and you know it is lovely to find them but also i do kind of like finding those five or six year out people that you can kind of go they've got a bit more life experience behind them so it's there's so like every point in this industry there's so much to be had and there's so much to yeah. be found no, I love that. Yes, that's the thing. There's there's a job for everyone. And as I always say, you are the solution to someone's problem. You've just got to find that problem that you can be the solution for. And also, you know, you can't build a show entirely on fresh graduates. Like there's got to be experience in there. And so coming to it slightly later, you know, if you graduated later in life or if you come back to the industry, especially after, you know, COVID and things like if people are coming back to it, after taking that year, two years out, whatever they've needed to get themselves back together again, then that's lovely because you've got experience and that experience comes through so much. And it's amazing to see if you've got the ability and the talent which you always had, but you've suddenly got this new emotional depth that you can tap into. That's incredible. And that is so lovely to hear. And I think people are scared to maybe take a hot second for themselves and to rest or take time off. So is that something you would maybe suggest that if someone's not in the right headspace or they're just feeling that they're kind of hitting the wall to not feel defeated and think, you know what, I'm just going to give myself a month or two off or I'm going to try and I'm going to get my PT qualification or I'm going to get Rosetta Stone and learn French, whatever it is. Of course, yeah. And I think it's, it's really hard in this industry to justify it in your own head. And I think you always look at what people will be thinking of you and going, oh, well, they've left and you're going to get forgotten about. But you're not at all, because as soon as you come back, you make a fun, you make a fanfare about you coming back. And it's, you know, you take what you need in life. And it's always going to be that thing that if, in 20 years time, if you look back and go, I'm, I've not had a career since that moment because I didn't take that moment or I didn't have a career because I took that moment. You're still at the same point you need to do what you need to do at that given moment. And you need, to, if you need two months or a year or two years, then take it because that's what you need at that moment. Like this year has been incredible for me. Like I was supposed to have the best choreographical year, but actually I've just spent a year with my son instead and my wife. And I was never going to have that time. And I was never going to allow myself to have that time, but I've been given it and I feel so good for having it. So my advice would be right now is do what you need to do. Like do what feels right for your mental ability a lot of people say on this podcast is that they for like five years they didn't book a holiday or they didn't go to weddings or parties and I think that's the thing it's like you're you are a human who happens to also be a creative it's not they are one in the fact of it's your passion but there are like you can have those moments when you're not always smile on your face or singing or dancing of course you're allowed to be down you're allowed to especially at the moment and especially what everyone's been through you're allowed to be whatever you need to be to get through to the next day and like you and I both know, like as soon as there's always reality and there's always that saying that as soon as you book a holiday, you're going to get a job. But that's not the only job that's out there, but there might be the only holiday that's available to you. So take that holiday, like, or take that time to go and visit your mum and dad, even though you haven't, you know, you feel like you can't because there's an audition. Like yeah. auditions will come around again. Yes, you know, that could be your big break, but it could also not be like, you've got to look at it both ways. And if you need that time to visit family or you need that time to just go and have some time to yourself, do it. And yeah, if the job does come up, try and work it out, but book the holiday first, like go and have the amazing time. So let's talk more about the many hats you have to wear as a creative. Obviously as a freelancer, you're a business in yourself, but especially now you being a creative, you have to 
stay on top of your trade. You have to like network, you have to market yourself, have to have a website. There's so much you have to do and so many hats you have to wear as a freelancer and as a creative. Can we talk a bit more about maybe like the business side of what you have to do as a choreographer, movement director and teacher? Yeah, so it's, I mean, so the, the choreography and movement side. So, I mean, the biggest difference I found was how your relationship with your agent changes. And this is part of the business thing in that as a performer or a creative on that side of the panel, where an agent kind of sends you out into the world and can get you auditions and help in that way. As a creative, your agent is mainly there for the negotiation process. And yes, they can introduce you to people, but it's not like you don't get a breakdown saying, oh, the next prediction of Gypsy is happening. So we're looking for a choreographer aged 20 to 35. You know, that's not unfortunately how it works. <laughs> but it's about you finding material, finding, you know, ways to advertise yourself without just constantly being on social media going, look at my photos, look at my videos. Because unfortunately, Cameron McIntosh, again, doesn't scour Twitter as, uh, as much as I'd hope. But, <laughs> like, so... Yeah, it's about having the websites and it's about building footage and, you know, just finding a nice little brand that can get your face seen by the right people to network. And, you know, for me, it was about, you know, using the, inter the social media platforms to try and find new directors or fellow choreographers that I can contact and get in touch with. And it's amazing the amount of work I've been able to not necessarily get, but at least discuss through social media. And having the website to back that up has been invaluable. And it's somewhere that I haven't, you know, because then I don't have to say to people, I don't have to send them a video. I can send them a link and, or just tweet a link to my website saying, oh, check out my website where they can get everything rather than just being able to say, here's a showreel, look at this on social media, which can get a little bit kind of in your face at times. Sorry, everyone can't see my uh, amazing gesticulation. <laughs> um, yeah. But so, yeah, so Twitter for me has been, invaluable in finding things and getting the show at um chichester came down to the director had been through because she knew she was going to look for a new um movement director to work with on that process and she found my stuff online and and stuff and so i got my biggest job to date that you know transferring to the national and and through social media and through having my presence online and being very aware of what that brand is online a lot learned from you in these podcasts. Oh, thank you. I think that for me just sums up how I try and champion so much like this online and offline presence. Like you may have the talent in the audition room, but it needs to be the same online. You can't cut your showreel to an inch of its life. So you're like constantly jumping and nonstop turning and all this and then not deliver that because you're late. You don't network well, you're rude. And I think the thing that I love from that is that your social media maybe got your foot in the door, but then what you delivered in real life and in person sealed the deal. It was like a good two, like a two pronged approach, which was fantastic. Yeah. Especially being a creative because it is so much about the relationships that you have in a room and it's, you know, it's so you, you put the stuff out there and people like your work or they've heard about your work, but then you have to have a good enough relationship with them in the room because it's about trust. Like a director is trusting me to put forward their vision and to help them achieve the best show. And it's, there's so much pressure, especially for someone like Nicole, who, who was director of Sing Your Heart, who she'd just come fresh off the back of Amelia in town. You know, she'd had this huge show and she was being trusted at Chichester, which is an amazing venue. And, you know, I was a pretty unknown, like I'd done lots of choreography and I'd done a bit of movement direction and a couple of Shakespeare's and things. So I knew what I was doing, but I was relatively unknown to her. Like the first time we met was a cafe in King's Cross to discuss it. So, you know, she put the, and so I had to be able to, prove that I was worth the gamble and 
and you know we've gone on to do another show since and we're going back to visit sing your heart out so it's yeah it's amazing to develop these new relationships that come from what i put out on social and also on a side note i know you particularly are a football fan so was it good actually working on a show where you got to do football obviously not Uh, football football but stage football well yeah i mean well it was odd because the show's set in a pub so there was very little actual football going on uh but yeah it was good to be able to kind of it was something i never thought i'd kind of see come together so that was interesting and it yeah it was it was good like there was no actual choreography involved it was pure pure like rada based uh movement direction so that was good fun that was a really interesting way of working can i and this might be too personal of a question so please do stop me but i feel like i love the fact it's almost like you're demystifying the fact as well as like if you are a freelancer you can't have a mortgage you can't get married you can't have kids and there's so there's more and more performers now who are still making it work as creatives, having a family, whatever that is for them. You learn what you had to do with like at the bar and stuff. So it can be done, can't it? Oh, definitely. And for me, it was about I knew what I needed to do at that moment. And I'm also under no illusions that, you know, so we've got a lovely flat that we live in now. We moved out of London. We moved to Farnborough because it meant that we could uh, please don't stalk me. Um, we, can, <laughs> we, can, we can travel into London like it's still commutable, but we don't have to be in you know, the hot pocket of London all the time. We could have a family out here. It's what I need to do to do the best for my family and because there is life outside the industry and you spend like 20 years thinking there isn't or however many years you're in the industry thinking that it's all about those eight shows that you do a week and you know the next contract after that and the next contract. And then you get to the age of you know 30 and you kind of go, well, hang on a minute, my only friends are musical theatre friends. And while they are the best friends in the world, you know, you kind of think, well, what about those ones at college? And what about those ones that have a real life? And what about the friends for your kid? Because, you know, it's going to those parent groups and realising that you actually have to create a group of friends for them and family friends is, it's a whole other world that you kind of don't think about. But last year, I was really lucky. Last year, we had our son. um, And I worked with, I think it was six directors last year all who have families and so I learned from them and I just kind of took how they work and they're all at different stages in their lives like some have got grown-up kids who have gone off to uni now and some have got young kids who are kind of just a couple of years ahead of me and it was amazing to learn how they're going about the process and how doable it is nowadays. Yeah and I think that's the thing especially when you are more of a fresh grad because everyone's in the same boat you kind of think or our families love us and our biggest champions but they're also sometimes the first to be like you doing okay do you need to get a real job and all that when it's like no yeah and you can build a successful career just because you're freelance doesn't mean you don't work you can easily work full-time hours if not more as a freelancer. Oh if you the amount of unpaid hours that you put in in terms of the hours that are outside of the office and the hours that are, you know, even just on a train when you're going, well, hang on, that bit didn't look quite right in that preview last night. So how can I tweak it? Like you're working constantly. And when you're not working on a show, it's about the networking, like you've always championed yourself. And it's about those, like the social media hours and the hours of meetings or coffee chats and, you know, things like this, even talking like this, this is still work. Like as wonderful as it is, it is about, you know, and people listening are doing work by trying to, you know progress themselves and, and broaden their knowledge you're saying so many golden nuggets today chris i'm like yes well. <laughs> just in case i was like i'm going to scrap the interview no joking <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a <backup> one. <laughs> um i'm gonna let you go soon because i know you're gonna go jump in the studio in a minute um but who or what inspires you so that could be a person a book a genre of dance whatever it is is there anything that inspires you so yeah so i've always been inspired by dance by matthew Bourne, like just his storytelling 
And for me, being a choreographer was my biggest thing was I always, this will sound so kind of self-indulgent, but I always, you can delete it if you need to, it's fine. Um, <laughs> was, I always want to be a storyteller through dance. I don't just want to create beautiful patterns because I don't see the point. I don't see what that achieves. Like that feels very dated now. Like I feel like choreography has come so far. And like I was talking about earlier, that new generation of choreographers, which kind of at the moment is spearheaded by the incredible Drew McConey. Like just his storytelling. And he, again, comes from the Matthew Bourne school of kind of training and, and working within that company. And it's, it's realizing that there is so much more to dance than just a lovely step will change and a double pirouette. You know, it can be used to create so many emotions. And I think it's a shame if you don't explore that. So watching people like them uh, are incredible. And then my two kind of in personal inspirations within the industry are two directors that I've been really lucky to kind of build strong relationships with are Hannah Chiswick and Nicole Charles, who come from very different spectrums. Like Hannah is pure musical theatre and she's some plays as well, but like she's musical theatre genius. And the way that we work is so different to the way that Nicole and I work, but the end results are some of the best I've ever created because of what they inspire within me and what they pull out within that process. So like huge love and they're spearheading the way for female directors and directors of color and working class directors. And they're just like pure theater champions. Fab. And um, I think your autobiography should be, there's more to dance than a step will change in a double pirouette. I mean, if you can write it for me, that's fine. If you can... <laughs> You can pen it. That'd be great. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier on your, um, your kind of some quotes or like mantras that you use or live by. Can you just repeat them for me? Or if you have any more, because I loved it. I think it's kind of an adaptation of a Tolkien one. Like I've never read any of his books, but there's always been this quote that is, uh, the adventure doesn't begin until you leave the path. And so for me, that's kind of the thing of, if you kind of have this vision in your head of going forwards that, you know, in 10 years time, I want to be a West End lead. And then you're not open to all those jobs that happen, like going and doing a show at Edinburgh Fringe or maybe being an assistant director on a, on a small film or something. You've no idea where that leads to at all. So it's about taking the chance and just leaving that path that you have, you know, I, my, that path for me was there since I was four years old. I didn't know what I wanted at four years old. So of course I need to learn to venture from it and it's led me to where I am now. And so, yeah, that's my kind of, my one strong one. And then the Andrew Wright one was the, uh, you can't be good at everything. Like it's, it, it's words to that effect of like, don't try and be everything to everyone. There's no point. If you are good at one thing, do that thing. Like, and don't be afraid to just put everything onto that one thing. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, as you said, I think sometimes you obviously you have to be driven and focused, but I think when you're so tunneled vision on something, you, you don't see all the options around you that other doors that are open and you're choosing not to go through them because you're like i'm waiting for that one door at the end of the corridor to open yeah and you're just waiting for that one audition that comes in like if you've got your dream show like you've always wanted to be in chicago that's great but have that as your back goal like have that as a goal don't have that as a like a, a focal point because let's face it chicago is going to keep coming back and around but there's other things in the meantime like go and explore those other things go and do a cruise ship go and do you know, a couple of events here and there, or, or do what you need to do, go and teach, go and, you know, explore another side of the industry. Because the more you know about this industry, the more you know about yourself and how you can help yourself to be better within the industry. Like I bet you and I both look back, I know I certainly do. And I think if I went and audition now, I'd have such a better chance because I know so much more about so much more of the industry. 
Yeah, completely. And for me, it was even later on in my career when I started like assisting at auditions and casting. So more so from like running auditions and whatnot. And I was like, some of these people can't sing as well as me, but they have way more confident than me and they get through. And it's this, yeah, now I think at the ripe age of 33, um, I would probably audition much better than I would have when I was maybe in my early 20s. Yeah, definitely. And I, I often think, oh, should I? But then I definitely go, no, 100% not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was for me last year. It was last June. I hadn't got an audition from one of my agents for this new Netflix show that I've been filming on and off for six months. And they, although they wanted younger dancers, they specifically wanted dancers as well who were over the age of 30. And I was like, right. Um, and like Kelly Chow was doing it, who I know you know very well, Chris. And we were like, yes, we're over the age of 30, still got it. And like we booked it and it had been filming on and off for six months. So there is sometimes like being older in the industry has its advantages, definitely. Oh, hugely. And it's, it's so nice to be in the older side of the, I'm not, I mean, I'm not in the older side of the industry. Let's face it. We're in the middle ground of the industry, yeah. but it's so nice to have the, be able to look back and go, okay, this is what it was like, but I'm still going and I'm still finding my own path. But I'm definitely going to let you go, but where can people find you online? Like your website, your social media? Oh, uh, my website, as you very kindly said earlier, is whichkachorography.com. Uh, and my socials are mainly Instagram and Twitter are at whittakachoreo fab um thank you so much chris for giving up your time um, everyone listening i hope you've enjoyed do go and follow chris on social media check out his work if you've enjoyed the episode that much why not leave us a little review and thank you chris go go forth and dance your little heart out in the studio thank you thank you bye that was a fantastic Chris Whitaker. a massive thank you to him he did mention his social media and his website so do go and follow him I know he does teach open classes and quite often does run a masterclass, so make sure you follow him online. I'll be back next week with another episode. Have a fantastic week.